Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing the 17th of May 2021. We start this week with some sad news. A grain merchant in Scotland, Alexander Inglis and Co., have called in administrators, which is never a great moment. It's given uncertainty to stock levels in various markets and it's inevitably got a list of creditors and I really hope there's a fair resolution found for all. It's a terrible moment when this occurs. Yeah, there is a bit of a mess. It's not at all pretty. So as I say, I hope it gets sorted out quickly. And whenever that happens within the grain trade, it creates a stir. There aren't many of us left and it's not a great moment, especially for the small merchants who everybody scrutinises. And the markets have been affected accordingly. And one of the markets particularly that will be affected is the May wheat futures contract, which we have mentioned a few times In recent weeks, you might have noticed. The direct impact of that is it affects the short position that's still showing, and we don't know what the outcome of that is. The important point is for the May Wheat Futures contract is that the ICE exchange control the contract, and they've got a set of rules that everyone has to abide by, and they will ensure that that occurs, and the smooth closing of the contract will occur by midday on the 21st of May. So by next Friday, we will know what the outcome was. They will ensure that it's executed correctly, which is one of the beauties of having proper contracts. What this means is the obligation of the person who is short to deliver either physical wheat or agree a cash settlement price for the value of that wheat to the purchaser. Now, there's a bit of haggling going to go on with that if the person who is still short cannot physically tender it. And as I say, without second-guessing, there is a place where a price is probably going to be agreed that sorts that out. It should or already has had an impact on immediate markets around it. Uh, There's a little blip. There's going to be a blip in the value of feed wheat in the UK for a day or two while this gets sorted. So I think it's a mess that we really do want sorted out as quickly as possible. And we look forward to that moment. So that's all I've got to say on that matter for this week. I just read my diary, actually. There's a physical broker we trade with called Paul Sakira, whose nickname is Choco. And he had a bet that May wheat would be trading at less than £200 a tonne delivered on the 14th of May. I'd just like to say, Chuck, you are wrong. (laughs) Anyway, I just spotted that. Let's go on to prices. We're not going to have a lot to talk about this week in our market report due to our somberness. Old crop wheat. If you're lucky enough to be one of our store members doing grain as stores for people who have central storage, and we register our stores as future stores, and if you're lucky enough to be one of our members and you haven't priced all of your wheat, then you could, this morning, quite happily offer your wheat at 220 And although it won't get booked immediately, I think there's a high chance it might trade as high as that. So I think that just emphasises the benefits of having a good marketing agent. And if you're a member of any other central store in the UK, I don't believe any of them have got a future store registration, so you're not going to be quite so lucky. So only people who trade with doing grain are lucky. Be sure to ask your merchant, your marketing agent, whoever they might be, however big they might be, 
why they're not as good as doing grain? I think that's a really promising and good question that you should bring up. I'm sure they'll come up with an answer about us being rubbish or stupid, but you can just say, well, what's the price of your pool and what's the... Oh, and I think you get kicked out of the meeting, probably. Anyway, values. That's my fun, exciting bit for the week. X Farm Feed Week for June in Norfolk, 205X. That is courtesy of the blip we've just seen. And we would pay 210X for July movement, the whole month July. Now, I absolutely believe it is going to prove very difficult to buy July wheat when we get there. So I'm getting myself sorted out early. We've booked up some tonnage at that level. When it's gone, it's gone. We've got a certain number of tons we want to buy. So if it's done by the time this podcast comes out, then it was a complete fake and we were pretending. But if it isn't, that is the price we are paying today for wheat, which is a brilliant price, I might add. This is ex-farm value. Obviously, Future Store member, as previously mentioned, a lot more than that. Something I've been very wrong on, which is feed barley. It's hit 180x. It has, again, the whole thing's blipped up anyway, but it seems barley's run out in certain parts. And the harvest looks a little late to me, so it could get a bit exciting, that one. So 180x for feed barley, which leads nicely onto malting barley. I think I'll just say there's none of that left. There isn't any. Tough. It's gone. If it hasn't gone, it'll go as feed barley at 180x. So if you monster boys can see any reason to be short of anything, I would start looking very seriously at the bit because it is going to just go out the door as feed without any miseries. Is that irresponsible, saying that there's none left? Nah, of course it isn't. It's just a podcast, isn't it? Of course there's some left somewhere. Anyway, new crop. There was a big sell-off yesterday. The market got right tonking. It started in the States and everybody copied them, which is where it's going to be from now on. This coming trading year for the UK, if we talk about wheat specifically, is going to be dead boring. We're going to produce 14 to 14.5 million tonnes of grain. The crop size has improved a bit. And we will import 1.6 million tonnes of milling wheat, which is basically enough for the millers to get their fix on German wheat and whatever else they bring in. So that leaves no room for export, no room for further import, and a price sitting there vegetating, shirt-tailing other markets. Now, luckily, other markets look very exciting, and we're as high as these prices because the world has gone up so much. But in terms of actual people getting squeezed for supply, like last year, or there being too much, it's not going to do either. There'll be moments when you'll have control and moments when the consumer has control. So farmer-consumer will have brief little interludes of success in what is a dull market whilst watching the rest of the world's weather or politics and seeing where we're being dragged to. At the moment, as I said last week, corn drags wheat, wheat drags barley. In other words, corn is the leader at the moment, and in the background, oil seeds are doing their own particularly exciting fairground ride. With that, the value of harvest wheat has dropped down to 172x in that region. If you're all August, buyers call 174. And I think, as I say, it's a late harvest at the moment. That could alter. It's going to be very exciting. I think July's tight, as I previously mentioned. I think harvest is possibly late. And although there's French wheat coming in, that's a lot more expensive nowadays. It isn't going to be a cheap get out for anybody. So I would advise people from the buy side of things to get their July covered. I don't feel comfy about running a short book or not having enough wheat to cover my July book. And I've had a couple of farmers this week come short on their May deliveries. So it's a little inkling of little fear I have that possibly there isn't quite as much as we thought either. So feed wheat prices for Nov would be 177x, as we record, which would make May about 182. Still good prices, but a good 10, 12, 13 pounds off the peak. Milling wheat, 
£20 premium. Do not sell the Million Week premium. The graveyard is full of grain merchants who sold the Million Week premium and got the sack. You sell the Million Week premium at £20 thinking, aren't I a clever chap? And that's covered the cost of all the expense I've done to produce Million Week. And then it'll rain like crazy in this late harvest we're having. And the Hagberg will be gone and you'll be paying... 60, 70, 80 pound premium for milling wheat. So beware, just wait. The base price is good anyway, so you don't need to try and get 20 pound premium to make yourself look clever now. Have a bit of patience. Malting barley, as I'm in an antagonistic mood, it's what is malting barley worth? Who's going to sell malting barley? 1.6 nitrogen distilling barley, 200 pound a tonne harvest delivered. There you go. That should stir someone up into a slightly aggressive, angry moment, but. There is nothing much happening, and I don't see any massive pressure. If you think you're not going to move your barley, it's not true. Don't let anyone tell you it won't move unless you sign up, because there is plenty of places. We've got empty stores this year. We will happily absorb your barley the day you cut it. So do not jump into committing at some cruddy price just because someone thinks that they can threaten you with it won't move. Which leads on to, as I said, the best fairground ride in town, which is oilseed rape. In the last two days, at any given moment in time, the highest price you could have received for harvest rape was 460, and the lowest price you could have received was 435. So if you pick your moment perfectly, you'll be somewhere in that £25 range. Point being, underlyingly, oils are short on stock, production is threatened, although it's probably slightly improved with the lovely weather we're having on all crops, but underlyingly, It is £445 a tonne at moment of recording, plus bonuses, which is rather good. This week, we continue with our conversation with Pete Smithers of Amius, talking to Ben and Ian, and talking about risk management. Anyway, with that, have a very lovely week. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. The Dewing Grain app will keep you updated with real-time industry news, data analysis and insights into the market, giving you all the information you need to make informed trading decisions. A commodity selling feature enables you to source prices and receive direct offer notifications informing you on what Dewing Grain are looking to buy and at what price. Search Dewing Grain on the App Store or Google Play to download and with all of these features in your pocket, you'll have more time to sit back and listen to our podcast. To set up a trading account with us, call 01263 731 550 or email info at And now it's time for Farm Chat. We've still got Pete from Amius with us and what we're going to do now, because actually you made some really interesting comments over a rather good lunch. We were talking about how the Europeans view risk, handle risk on their commodities and it'd just be good to have a bit of a chat about that. But it wasn't so much risk, it was also about how they trade and probably their thought processes. And just so you understand the nature of our business as a merchant, what do you see from the other side of the fence, really, just for our farmer listener base, really? So I think the UK market is different to the way the European trades, for sure. It's definitely more cooperative-based. It's definitely larger and more commercial. I don't mean that as a an insult to any UK farmers. I think, you know, it just tends to be more land and more Is that because it's more cooperatively minded? Yeah, definitely, in the way it trades. And the trading companies that exist there tend to be larger. I mean, they're dealing with larger volumes, don't forget. Mm. They're dealing with much larger areas, acreages. And the way that they're set up 
tends to be the background they're from tends to be of that sort of cooperative mindedness average pricing tools less merchanted and more cooperative when you're saying cooperative we were discussing it earlier you're saying that their long-term view really is very long-term is it for example we're in in april 21 and we would be looking at doing average pricing contracts all the way out to may 22 for new crop european producers so people looking at locking in long-term marginings whether that be through some sort of accumulating structure or average pricing structure or some flawed structure or a flawed rolling structure that every expiry rolls to write this down everyone yeah sorry (laughs) effectively what we're what we're trying to do for them is build pricing tools out over a long period of time. What we're not doing is trading today's price today. And looking for an extra 50p. That is something that you'd never see on that European market. Yeah, which is alien to the UK market. It's the opposite, yeah. Yeah. And you're dealing with, obviously, companies that are large co-ops, in effect. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, lots of farmers are just in this co-op and they're... Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that. I think Andrew, I know on a podcast a few weeks ago, was quite critical of pooling models, which is the opposite, I guess, of of some of the European models. But at the same time, they're not tying themselves in. They're tying themselves into a contract on day one. They're choosing to enter that contract on, on day one. They're not forward selling with no appreciation of risk or price. They're taking trading decisions over a long period of time, but they're taking them on their own terms. Do you think that those farmers understand what they're in? Of course, yeah. Oh, okay. Obviously, the company is making a decision on behalf of the farmer to do the grain. Do you think that every individual farmer understands about that, oh, yes, my grain is now being committed for one, two years? Yeah, 100%. I think what they're doing is they're agreeing to a contract that is not out of their control they're not doing 100% on day one either yeah they're coming in one when they have the product to sell they're agreeing contracts that yeah maybe in the future but they're not going to do they're not agreeing to 100% on one contract they're taking decisions over a period of time to choose as and when to enter these contracts so aside from the marketing in your opinion what would you say is the powerhouse area within grains is it when we talk about Russia being the the new breadbasket of the world Although they've introduced the new tariffs and maybe that kind of reduced that. But where would you say is the most key player of this world market? Well, I hope it doesn't reduce Russia's supply too much because I think the world balance sheet will be in a lot of trouble. I guess it depends who you are. If you're a farmer in Norfolk, then the centre of your world is farms in Norfolk. I don't think there's any shame no, in Elsham, that. Pete. Elsham. Elsham. The centre of the world evolves around Dewing Towers. So, now yeah. you've seen it, you know what we've been talking about all these years. Yeah. So I'm up Very on glamorous. the 25th floor here. <laughs> yeah. And you're staring at Webby reclining on a sofa. Yeah. <laughs> Eat your um, heart out, Hugh Hefner. The market is reliant upon Black Sea and Russia, for sure. I think the export balance sheet is tight. We're a bit reliant. like your shirt. It's fitted. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Right, sorry. It's, it's, um, sorry. You don't see many fitted shirts in this office. The export balance sheet is tight, and we are reliant upon a consistent stream of Russian export. If you see less than 35 million tonnes coming into the new crop then the export balance sheet is a big problem I mean, it needs to be more than that really i think you were saying that german new crops looking in a good place i think the germans have it quite good this year they're receiving high prices 
from a tight market, but the German growers seem to be coming in on a good crop. So after maybe not what northern Germany especially hasn't had a great run over the last five years, for sure this year it looks like they're going to win the best ticket with a high price. I mean, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Pete, because I think at heart you're an economist. Let's future project three, four, five years' time. How do you see world commodity markets I'm not going to hold you to this. The weeping and recovering from the glory years of 2021. Come on. You look at all these angles and all these markets. What's your view on all of this? Without getting too global, I think I always say 2010 was pretty much like the peak year of globalisation where Chinese and Russian relationships were the strongest point and you were seeing World Cups given to Russia and Olympics given to Beijing. And I think since then we've probably gone the wrong way due to various political movements. You can't get away from the fact that world balance sheets are reliant now upon a Russian export crop that is a relatively new phenomenon, really. And Russia, obviously Putin might come and poison me with Novichok if I say this, but... He'll get Andrew first, I heard his comments earlier. (laughs) (laughs) He'd find it hard to find us in Norfolk, but you never know. Putin is the not first his... ones he gets to, and is in the F sixteen Lightnings or whatever that come over. <laughs> Putin's not the most reliable trading partner, is he? No, he's a little bit unpredictable. Yeah, and I think you know the world trade is is massively exposed to political risks around obviously Ukraine and and Russian tensions, and I think yeah, you're going to see quite a few limit up days if anything happens there because you're two of the biggest bread baskets of Eastern Europe and the Black Sea are going to be exposed to massive uncertainty. Yeah, and that uncertainty is, well, as we know, markets don't like uncertainty, but not to bang the drum, but it comes back to that whole know your marketing strategy, use options, Mm. because actually you can all sit here and look out your window and think, yeah, everything looks rosy, but around the corner, anything could happen, couldn't it? I mean, that's key, isn't it? It's about keeping your options using that pun again keeping your options open and i think it's key with these prices to obviously make sure you've got commitments done because someone's going to look quite silly if the market's trading 140 in six months time i don't think it is but if it is the uk market is trading 140 and you didn't put anything in the bag you're going to be quite embarrassing so you need to get get something sold but at the same time that's what options can hopefully help you do they can help allow you to have price participation but also price certainty at a cost we kind of talked about the big breadbasket production guys, but what about the Chinese as the buyers? I mean, it's phenomenal. The last six months has like turned this market on its head. Yeah, well, I made quite a good comment in one of our reports back in end of August or first week of September. I said you don't see demand-side shocks in commodities. As an economist, you don't really. So commodities are exposed to supply-side shocks. Mm. And what we've seen since September 2020 is, is a demand-side shock where you've just seen unprecedented buying which has completely nailed all of the stocks and everything's on a very very fragile place isn't it yeah i think what we've effectively seen is when lockdown happened in the uk and we all saw it you go to tesco's and you can't buy a tin of beans let alone anything else i think what we've seen is the same hoarding of produce but on a global level did you buy lots of bog roll then, Pete? Lots of bog roll. I've still got canned meat soup in my cupboard at home. But funny <laughs> enough, hasn't been. It hasn't seemed so appealing. But it was the only thing in Tesco's. I was guilty of a bit of buying some of those uh, non-perishables. Yeah, but you bought a lot of bog roll for another reason, Ian. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> going back to September, we'd just finished harvest, and then looked like there was nothing. Kind of globally, supply side looked fine. 
and then you get hit in the arm with this. We're now kind of reliant on not just one, but maybe two consecutively good world harvests. It's very hard with, you know, Andrew's talked about this in the past, but the S&D is very, very tight. And if you lose a lot, it takes quite a long time to build it back up and build the stock uses. With the demand side, it's... I don't want to call it irrational demand because obviously people are buying it and China's buying for a reason. And I think you can't just turn around and say that's irrational. But I think, you know, it's much more difficult to predict demand. Chinese balance sheet is not transparent. Do you think anyone's going to come and poison me for saying that? So you're trying to say that it's not demand-led and it's actually supply-led because they've had a crack crop. You said they've been lying well, to no. us for the last two years. Well, they've obviously had issues with the African swine flu and the hog herd. Repopulating that has obviously been a big drain on feed resource. I think the problem is we don't know. And no one sat here or sat anywhere outside of Beijing probably knows. I'm not convinced that some of the people in Beijing actually know. Probably not. Let's be honest. It's such a vast country and we hear about these national grain stores. But, yeah, who knows? Thanks, Pete. It's been great to see you. You're going to have to shack back to where well, you're not London. No, it's not, been um, a long five-hour podcast. Chichester. <laughs> yeah, all the way back to Chichester tonight. So, yeah, it's a long old slog. Yeah, so no, thanks for coming to see us. It's been great. Yeah, well, let's see where we go in the future. Yeah, looking forward to hopefully working with you guys and customers and, yeah, hopefully working with the UK trade a little bit more. Cool. Thank you. Cheers, Pete. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.